there we go. <laughs> we were both in the green room preparing. Here we are. <laughs> it's a live show, folks. It's all good. So uh, I'm here with my co-host, Bill Quinn, who just introduced himself. And, uh, <laughs> hey, Todd, how are you? I'm great, and uh, Bill has been working hard behind the scenes, and uh, really appreciate his efforts and uh, you know just perseverance on all of this. We decided to do a show tonight because we have some really breaking news. Um, we're going to bring on Hank Sullivan first to talk about some issues in Georgia, but then we have Chris Gleason coming on, and I guarantee you, you're not going to want to miss this because it's uh, absolutely breathtaking in what we've found. So, uh, but before we get to that, we're brought to you by the Georgia Record, georgiarecord.com. And uh, we really appreciate all our partners. We're streaming on Conservative Daily in Denver right now on the Caravan to Midnight Network. We're uh, preparing our soon-to-be news updates on 106.3 Extra in Atlanta. And just uh, visitors and viewers from around the world, we really appreciate that. We really appreciate your comments. Please sign up for our newsletters, sign up for our CDM One Rumble channel. That's really important. The shows we're putting out are fantastic. I'm getting comments on our German show that we do called Eurobytes. Uh, people from Germany sending us long emails about how we've got it spot on and what's happening in Germany. I found that really uh, refreshing to hear. And we did a, a news update with Christine Dolan today at 12. We, we're going to do it every day after each primary. It's called The Final Count. And we were laughing. We were going to call it the morning after, but we figured that probably wasn't the best name. So uh, it's called The Final Count, and Christine and I will, will do that every day after the primary at 12. And uh, please sign up for our No Ad subscriptions. It's really important. You get access to all 13 of our sites with no ads. And really appreciate those who have come in and signed up. Uh, it's very helpful. It gives us, uh, you know, in addition to advertising that we do, the subscription base is is really important. So if you haven't done that, it's 10 bucks a month or a discount for the yearly rate. And it, it's really helpful to keep free media on the air because, you know, we've been deplatformed. Saying that, uh, we're at a point, uh, kind of an inflection point, Bill, I think, in, in the media space because uh, the advertising, you know, we've been kicked out all, kicked off all the advertising platforms. So we have to have direct relationships with advertisers. So if you want to advertise in your you know, you know, you, you want to be where the MAGA base is in Georgia, which is most of the state. This is the show to do it. So contact us at contact. Uh, there's an email on the Georgia record. You can find it. But we're really in an inflection point because I think that old media is dying. I saw a slide today and I can't remember where I saw it, but it was the percentages of all the major, you know, mockingbird media and their declines. And it's really dramatic. So you're having if you want to be uh, where the business is going to be in a year, you need to start building a relationship with CDM and the Georgia record. Uh, so thank you for that. Sign up for our no ad subscriptions. And Bill, I'm going to turn it over to you for our, actually, we're going to run an ad from David Cross. I wanted to say, um, if you own stock in Boeing, um, there's really been a lot of volatility in the stock based on problems with the airplanes and other things. And, and if you own that, that may be a reason to give David a call and get some advice on what you should do with the stock or should you buy it here? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, different things to talk about the news flow, the, the, the analytical ratings, et cetera, the price price valuation models. But David is the guy to talk to. If you have stocks you're, you're not really sure about. So let's run an ad from David. Thank you. This is a special report. Knowing how to invest your money is harder than ever before. Dealing with stock market volatility, record debt and terrorist attacks requires new thinking. At U.S. Asset Management, we can help you see the world more clearly so that you can move beyond the chaos and invest with confidence. Call us, visit us online, or drop by our office. U.S. Asset Management, helping you make better decisions with your money. Well, Bill, let's bring in uh, Hank. All right. Mr. Sullivan, <clears throat> good evening. How are you? And thank you for joining us. You caught me pre-smile. Pre-smile. <laughs> okay. Well, hang on. I'll, I can take you back out and we can bring you back in if you'd like. Hey, there no, you we're go. doing good. Doing good. Hope, hope you guys are doing well. We are. We are. Yeah. So so thank you for making time tonight. We, um, sure. uh, we have a number of topics that you've written on. Uh, we wanted to sort of take these in um, a, a particular order. And uh, so you... 
you wrote a, a, an article that a lot of people have made comments about, and I thought that would be a good place for this evening to kind of begin, and it, it wraps around several issues. But let me uh, leave that up to you, and, and I'll, uh, I'll let you go through in, in the way that you wish. But take us through that, that article that's got people talking, uh, you know, about, about Abrams and, and Kemp and so forth, and what you're really trying to communicate there. All right. Well, I'll shift gears a little bit. I was uh, actually we're about three articles behind right now. So the, the article that really kind of started starts off this series is one that is, I think, is probably as important as anything. And that is the one that concerns SB 221 from yeah. 2021. Uh, SB 221 established what they call leadership committees and leadership committees, just like all the legislation they put down there, they really don't have anything to do with leadership committees. It's, com it's completely different. They just call it a leadership committee. So to hide the, the true purpose of the legislation. So in 2021, the governor through his floor leaders, which is I believe uh, extremely unconstitutional, uh, delivered a bill to the floor, and it was fast-tracked to the, through the floor. It went straight through with the help of then uh, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan. Um, it, it went straight on through the Senate, then went straight on through. Nobody changed it in the House, and so it didn't even have to come back to the Senate. It just mainlined through the system all the way to the governor's desk. Well, so what was this? This was one of those governor's bills. You hear about these governor's bills every year. If there's something that the governor wants to get through, then it it generally gets through and there's not much that you can do to stop it. So what this bill does, it essentially suppresses the grassroots political power of the state, handing massive quantities of power to anonymous donors practically anywhere in the world. I say practically, it could be literally anywhere in the world. SB 221, as I said, it ordained these leadership committees. And the purpose of them is to solicit and receive unlimited amounts of money from unknown sources. I say they're unknown because in the bill, and this is how they make the sausage, in the bill, it talks about persons with the unlimited capacity to give directly to these leadership committees that would be chaired by, say, the governor, Brian Kemp. It could be the lieutenant governor or it could be either house and either party in either house. But these leadership committees can receive unlimited amounts of money from persons. Well, I spoke with a legislator who voted in this bill uh, early, well, probably last week. And, and, and when I called this bill to his attention, he was under the impression that these were just people, like walking around, born of a mother type of people. And I, so I pulled it out. I, I said, look, this is what they do. They put the word persons in the bill. And, and so that leads legislators to think that it's just people, but it's not. It's legal persons. The way that it's being interpreted by, by the governor, it's legal persons, meaning LLCs, meaning corporations, whether it's a nonprofit, for-profit, doesn't matter. So, for example, in California, there is an LLC. It's a, uh, it's a uh, real estate company. And they gave our governor $250,000. Another one in New York, another LLC up there gave them $100,000. Well, so who owns these, these LLCs? The fact of the matter is you'll never know who owns these LLCs. They could be fronts. I don't know. I'm, I don't think that they are. Or I don't know. <laughs> but they're just, it's like they're conduits practically. They, uh, you, this money could be coming from China. It could be coming from Ukraine. It could be coming from virtually anywhere and funneled through LLCs who were owned by people that you can't identify. Because is it, if you uh, if you um, if you start up an LLC in Georgia, there's going to be one individual, the organizer, 
who is listed on the paperwork for the for the state. But outside of a court order, you will never find out who owns any of these these businesses. Mm. So it's opened up the money for what they call dark money. Dark money is money where you don't know where it came from. It might be legitimate. It might not be. It could be foreign governments passing passing money through these organizations into the coffers of your governor. Now, so you, you said this was enacted when? In 20? 20... In 2021. One. And how, 20... much is, uh, how much has Kemp accumulated since that time? Do we know? So far, well, I, we know up until the, rep the reporting date, which was the end of June. And as of the end of June, he had amassed a total of $50 million in his leadership committee. Now, uh, Burt Jones is the lieutenant governor, and he is entitled to a leadership committee as well. And he has about $2 million in there. Um, so the leadership committees are uh, the entitlement for this is either a sitting governor, sitting lieutenant governor, or a, uh, a candidate that is nominated, at, duly, duly nominated as their uh, candidate for either governor or lieutenant governor. The difference is the governor, a sitting governor, can be running this leadership committee all year long, whereas a challenger only gets a leadership committee from the moment that he or she becomes the nominee until the time of the of the election. And if they lose the election, they have there's several things that, that can be done with the money. So it's it's kind of like an incumbent uh, in, incumbent safety zone it's 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 uh that's that's how that they're operating this so what what would be the underlying motivation to have these in the first place is it to <clears throat> to allow more um more money to be accumulated is it about hiding where the money's coming from i'm is sure they're trying to enhance the democratic process with <laughs> having all this money available for uh, a sitting governor. Look, the state of Georgia has been known for a long time to have the most powerful governor of all of the 50 states. Now, I have not, I have not gone and, and checked the power, but that's what everybody says. Well, this took the governor to another level. This took the governor of Georgia from the status of, say, a governor to practically that of a king, because now the governor has all of this money that to be able to buy influence in the state, in the state uh, general assembly, uh, and we, we don't know where this money is coming from to buy the influence. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. There were three Republicans in. If you add up the total number in both houses, three Republicans who voted against this bill in 2021, and I'm going to proudly say their names. It was Brandon Beach. It was Greg Dolezal, who represents me and Forsyth County down there in the Senate. And then uh, and then at the time, Senator Burt Jones. Those three were the only senators that voted against it. And no, no uh, Republican House members voted against this. So that's it. That's it. The other votes against it were all Democrats. Yay, Democrats. I mean, come on. <laughs> every now and then, you know, uh, every now and then a clock is right twice a day, you know, or, whatever, or stop. <laughs> That's so so uh, what I have, what I'm hoping is that we can get a bill from, I would like to see, I would like to see Greg Dolezal. I would like to see Greg Dolezal uh, and in the Senate. And I would like to see, Brent Cox and Carter Barrett. I'd like to see them enter a, uh, a bill in the House. I'd like to see two bills to repeal SB 221. It's a bad bill. It's awful. It's, it's taking the voice of the people and it's handing it to people you don't know could be anywhere in the world. And I can't even believe when I look at this bill, I can't even believe it exists. And nobody's no, nobody knows about it. So it's it's a major bill. It's it's got to go. And uh, and I'm sincerely hoping that one of my representatives or one of the representatives from here in uh, Forsyth County 
will do the right thing and sponsor a bill. So in contrast to a couple of months ago when Colt Moore was asking for action and people were yelling and screaming, oh, we don't have the votes, we don't have the votes, doesn't sound like we don't have the votes was voiced when this thing hit the floor. Sounded like everybody, pretty much everybody went right along with it. You know, it's the governor's bill. And, you know, three Republicans voting against it, I, I applaud those guys. That's that's fantastic that they voted against it. But I don't even think that they knew how bad this bill was going to be. It's mm. it is worse than anyone ever imagined. And here's here's the key. You know, Governor Kemp cannot be in office forever, so he's got to do something with his money. So what's he going to do? Well, there are several things that are in the bill that you can do with the money when your term is up and that you've got to go somewhere else. You can take that money and you can donate it to a nonprofit. OK, well, look at all these nonprofits that Governor Kemp has been setting up through through intermediaries in the different counties. They call them Republican coalitions. And and they have certain political power. He could be developing that system which competes with the grassroots Republican parties in the different counties. He can enhance that. He can enhance that program. He could transfer the funds to the Republican Party, whatever that even means anymore. He could give the funds to the Georgia Republican Party. He could give it to Democrats. Who knows? Who, who knows what, what he would do at the end? Or here's the key. He can give it to another candidate. Well, what's the scuttlebutt lately? Who's going to be running for governor? Maybe a lot of people, but one of the people that Governor Kemp has even pointed at is wife Marty Kemp. So he could take all this money that he's been accumulating and then he could just put this into her campaign. Great idea. Why don't we just make this a family affair? I mean, that's just the way that's the way our our election process is going. You know, you have the Bush dynasty. We can have the Kemp dynasty here and they'll they'll pass it down to their kids. And, you know, we'll just become they'll they'll change the name of Georgia and it'll become, you know, Brianville or something. I don't so know. so thinking that through, if that if this model of this leadership committee style of fundraising continues, it might actually put so much money in a very few hands that you could create like a lasting legacy yes. to those yes. that you wish that, down to that the you family. Yeah. But you got a cousin, uh, you know, just keep it in the family, huh? Yeah. all in the family. Wow. So we need help with that. We need everybody out there knowledgeable about that and contacting their representatives, their senators. And let's see if we can get a bill on the floor. I, I'm still hoping I can get my guys. If if I can't, then they're certainly gonna they're certainly gonna read about it. But we'll yeah. see what happens there. Did you have uh, Did you have another one of your substacks or another topic that you wanted? Yeah, to, uh, yeah. Now this one this one I'm receiving a lot of criticism from. I mean specifically from Josh McCoon, <clears throat> chairman of the Republic the Georgia Republican Party, whatever that means these days. All right. I put out, I, I wrote an article. Um, maybe you've got a screenshot of it. Give me I just a moment. It. I bet I do. Okay. I wrote an article that, that essentially said that had Stacey Abrams won, there we go. Had Stacey Abrams won, maybe you get the title page up there so you can see that. Stacey Abrams would have been better for Georgia than Brian Kemp. And the subtitle for this is important. Why an adversarial relationship among branches of government can be a good thing. Now, the reason why this, just imagine, let's say Stacey Abrams won back in 2018. Let's say that she was the governor going into 2020. And let's just say that Stacey Abrams decides that she's going to certify the 2020 election that elects Joe Biden as our president. Do you think that either of our houses, either our our Republican uh, Republican controlled Senate or Republican controlled House of Representatives would have stood still and allowed that to happen? I, it, we can't go back in time to find out, but I think not. 
I think both of those houses would have been alarmed. They would have, they would have said, no, 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 no. This is a Stacy thing. This is a Stacy thing. But when it was Brian Kemp who was going to certify the election, then it was okay. No one, everyone is afraid of doing it, doing the right thing because it was a member of their own party who was certifying what many believe to be a fraudulent election. Then think about where we are right now. Well, let's go back in it. For Stacey Abrams would have never been able to pass SB 221 in mm -hmm. 2021. There's no way Republicans would have gone with that. Democrats, she wouldn't have had the votes. So SB 221, the dark money vehicle that is that has made Brian Kemp essentially George's king, that would have never passed. Just so just think about these things that would have happened. The Republican coalitions that that Brian Kemp has established in at least 22, you've done reporting on this bill, at least 22 states, and it might be as many 30, counties, states, counties. counties yeah. as many as, it could be as many as 30. And these are all counties where the establishment is on the rocks. The establishment is being defeated by America first, MAGA, MAGA individuals who are coming in there in numbers and they're outnumbering the establishment and they're kicking them out. So the, these coalitions are, are places essentially for those people to land and coalesce and, and build a base of political power. That would have never happened. Just think about Kelly Loeffler. Just think about Kelly Loeffler and, and Brian Kemp's um, appointment of her to take over Johnny Isaacson's seat. That that only lasted less than two years because all she was doing was was uh, all she had to do was get to the next election and then and then she, that's where she was defeated. That was 2020. She was defeated and then she threw uh, she threw Trump under the bus on January 6th up in Washington D.C. She also threw away her Republican Senate seat because she didn't fight for it in the first place and then she didn't fight for it knowing how questionable this election was. She rolled over. So I contend that had Stacey Abrams been our governor, we would probably have two Republican senators right now because the, the, Amer the Georgia people would not have, have allowed that. So, then, so if I kind of combine the two stories or the two subjects you've covered, <clears throat> I know people have kind of an allergic reaction to, you know, oh gosh, Stacey Abrams, I don't want her under any circumstances. But if we take her sort of out and set her aside for the moment, part of what I think I'm hearing is the notion of questioning people's motivations and the reason and the facts within these bills is necessary really for all of the bills that come forward, even, even those that might be sponsored by friends we're not we're not suggesting that we want you know power to rest in in the hands of those that have pr already proven themselves to you know not not have george's best interest at heart but it's it sounds like it's more about having some level of realistic um factual skepticism of almost anything put forward is that is that kind of a fair statement? well i think that's certainly fair yeah yeah, there are. <laughs> as time goes by, more and more people get involved with reviewing the bills that are being dropped in the hopper every year. There's a whole team of people that I'm I'm aware of who who I work with to, to try to find uh, bills like that. But one one of the major reasons why Stacey Abrams would have been a better would have been better for Georgia, not that she would have been a better governor but she would have been better for Georgia is think about it. Brian Kemp has divided the Republican party in half, at least half, because when he, when he put Loeffler in the Senate seat, that threw up red flags for everybody. I mean, I, everybody was for Kemp until that happened, but all of a sudden that, that didn't make any sense. None of it made any sense unless you look at the big picture and find out where she came from, what her capabilities were. I mean, who's got all this money? It, it, it's all a money game. And then the way he turned his back 
on on President Trump, the way he certified this questionable, and I wink, wink on that, this questionable election. Brian Kemp, by virtue of him being the governor, he had every opportunity in the world to do the right thing at, at every moment, but he didn't. So he's divided the Republican Party into two. So so the Republican Party is not nearly as strong today as it would have been had Stacey Abrams been our governor. We would have the strongest Republican Party ever in the in the history of the state of Georgia had Brian Kemp, well, had Brian Kemp just done the right thing all the way through, or had Stacey Abrams been an adversarial governor to our Republican House and Senate in the Georgia General Assembly. Wow. Interesting, interesting uh, observation and thesis on this one it is <clears throat> it does it does seem to bear some fruit. Um, I know you've got some other topics coming forward. Uh, I bet we're going to have the opportunity to hear about those in the coming days. So um, thank you, Hank. Why don't you remind people, if you would, of where they can go have, find your research and uh, and uh, articles that you've Absolutely. written so they can Absolutely. review those. Uh, yes, you can find all my writings on hanksullivan.substack.com. Just type it in, hanksullivan.substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. That's where you'll find everything that I write, um, at least in, in a, a formal writing. Um, and right. I appreciate appreciate the opportunity to come in we, and talk with you guys today. I'll also mention that you'll also find uh, links to Hank's writing up on the Georgia record, georgiarecord.com. And uh, indeed, we'll, we have uh, several, gosh, quite a number now going back to uh, coverage on Talatrix and other things that you've surfaced. So thank you, Hank. Keep up the great work and we'll have you back soon. Great. Talk to you all later. See you, Todd. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. So we had a chance to sit down with Chris Gleason uh, this week. Uh, there's He broke one story with Ken Paxton that we've been on for a year I want people to understand we've been talking about this blank ballot issue for a year and uh, we are proud of uh, the accountability. You know, Hank's talking about accountability. We're proud of the accountability that uh, district or the DA in Texas, Hank, or, um, Hank Ken Paxton has uh, agreed or forced or is saying to the counties in Texas that you have to provide the data that will prove the fraud that we've been talking about. So I sat down with Chris Gleason uh, today we're going to run this quick tape and then we're going to bring him on and uh, talk about another blockbuster issue. So here we go. We were hang out with our friend, Chris Gleason, who we've been working with for about a year or more now on the election <clears throat> integrity issues. Welcome, Chris. Hey, hi, Todd. How are you? All good, man. So you had some massive news this week. Let's, let's get right into it. Yeah. So we've, uh, we've been, very well documenting our extensive public records requests mm -hmm. all across the nation. And we had done some massive um, public records requests for election data from the various election administrators all across the country. And uh, surprisingly, um, or not surprisingly, we, uh, we got some really great news the other day um, out of Texas of all places. And what it was is that um, there was a letter that the election administrators in Texas had sent to the attorney general there, Ken Paxton's office. And they had um, requested if they had to legally comply with our public records requests. Um, the county administrators and ESNS um, were saying that they didn't because uh, of trade secrets and because of proprietary information um, with standard stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't, I mean, heaven forbid you have free, fair, open and transparent elections, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, Ken Paxton's office, um, I guess they had uh, chatted back and forth with the SNS um, and ESNS made their arguments and the county attorney made their arguments and essentially uh, Ken Paxton said, no, you have to actually hand this stuff over and that they can, uh, the right of the people 
to have transparency in their elections is important to Ken Paxton and to the people of Texas. And it should be the same everywhere, really. Um, but it's this was big and it was good because we're fighting this fight for uh, the audit logs and the data mm -hmm. everywhere. We're, we've been fighting Florida, um, Maryland, mm -hmm. Wisconsin, Texas. Um, so at the end of the day, if they are using highly compromised machines, which we know that they have been, and there are lots of errors, which we know that there are. I mean, there's no other way that you can uh, explain all of these blank ballots, right? Yeah. So uh, this is the blank ballot issue that you have been talking about incessantly for a year now, because it's true. You found how they're cheating. And in Florida, they actually passed a law so that you couldn't get the information anymore called the Election Integrity Act. And uh, so you're famous and you got a big win. So that's fantastic. So now we should expect uh, possibly these records to be turned over. Can you tell if they've been modified? Oh, we definitely can. Um, mm -hmm. We can tell if they've been modified because that's a core functionality of having audit records mm -hmm. and audit logs. And um, so what we see here in Florida um, with the, uh, the same people, by the way, who lie about what a blank ballot is, these people, um, they modify the audit logs, redact information that they deem critical infrastructure mm -hmm. and essentially hide the evidence of the fraud in by removing uh, data from the logs. And that's, of course, highly problematic, but it explains why they're doing what they're doing and why they're fighting so hard to do the job that they've sworn an oath to do, mm -hmm. right? So yesterday, um, we did a follow-up uh, public records request to uh, over 100, uh, I believe it was 106 counties in Texas mm -hmm. that are using ESNS systems to administer their elections. And we're starting to get some answers back from them. And um, there's a few counties that are um, pretty determined to not get us the information that we requested. They're still saying, no, you can't have it. Really? Uh, even after Paxton? Said even you must after provide. Paxton, yeah. So we'll see how that shakes out in Texas. Um, yesterday, we also did a public records request for the state of Maryland, requesting any and all email communications between the attorney general's office, the Maryland Board of Elections, and the various county board of elections, because we know that they too have been lying about blank ballots and lying about um, the audit logs, because in Maryland, they're claiming that they have no responsive records. And that's typically what these people do. They will say, oh, we don't have any responsive records. We didn't generate them. Well, your actions actually did. And we have the documentation to prove it. So hand them over. And they are really digging their, their feet in, hoping and praying that we go away. And we're not going away because these are our elections. Yeah. So. Well, there's a lot going on, Chris. What else do you have happening across the world? I know. So is Paxton also going to investigate the smurfing? Is that one of the things? My understanding is that there are ongoing investigations in Texas based on our efforts there. Um, we have extensive fights going on right now in Wisconsin mm -hmm. uh, against uh, some of these uh, corrupt uh, Supreme Court justices. There's two in particular that took massive amounts of, of money from this smurfing network. Mm -hmm. The attorney general in Wisconsin also took money from the smurfing network, just like Fannie Willis did. Fannie Willis, our good friend down there in Georgia. And the, and the senator in Georgia as well. There, yeah, in, in Warnock. So yeah. what's particularly interesting about this is that um, we heard uh, the Democrats uh, bragging about how the vast majority of their new money that they're raising um, all across the country is coming in the form of small donations, very small donations. Computer-generated small donations. Computer-generated <laughs> small donations financed by the globalists and the yeah. Chinese Communist Party. What a deal. Yeah. Yeah. 
So anything else, Chris? Uh, I think that's that's it for now. We that's a lot. Oh wait, uh, we do. We have a we have a case that is uh, going to be heard uh, on the 18th in uh, Tallahassee. It's Swaffer uh, v. Uh, DeSantis and the supervisors of elections for Palm Beach County and Broward mm. County. Wow. And they're trying to get her case dismissed, um, not on the merits of the case, but on technicalities. And they don't want to give full disclosure. They don't want to hand over, again, audit logs and all mm -hmm. uh, that stuff. So it's the same thing happening across multiple states. But yeah. uh, we had a win, so let's savor yeah. it and uh, keep the pressure on. Thank you very much for your time, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tom. So now let's bring the man on himself. Chris, thanks for coming on. I know you're uh, taking time away from your family and I really appreciate it. So uh, you have some more breaking news. We just posted it on cdm.press. Uh, tell us what's going on. Sure. So uh, after we had gotten off of uh, our call earlier today, I got an email from uh, one of the folks in the election integrity group that's mounting a legal challenge against the Maryland Board of Elections. And um, he's like, hey, look at what I got today from mm -hmm. as a result of my public records request. And so I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm looking at it and I'm reading it. I'm like, this is, this is Merrick Garland's wife? And he's like, yeah, this is Merrick Garland's <laughs> wife. And I'm like, interesting. And so when you read and look at her email from May 13th, 2015, she essentially raised most of the issues that we raised in Maryland and elsewhere. And so you have to ask, right? I mean, it's a pretty relevant question. The wife of the now attorney general for the Biden administration, she knew that the use of these machines was not legal in Maryland or anyone else, anywhere else for that matter, if they had modems. So how does Merrick Garland prosecute anybody for anything related to this? How does that happen? Well, so, how, <laughs> you so can't this, this could invalidate a lot of things. It could invalidate current office holders. It definitely destroys the legal cases against a lot of the people who have been, you know, charged for doubting the election, essentially. I mean, I, I guess really the, the big question that everybody in America needs to be asking, okay, is one, first and foremost, how do you legally certify an election that was conducted on voting systems that were not either certifiable, were not certified, or had certifications that were void in their entirety. I mean, that's really what this boils down to. So apparently the attorney general's own wife brought this concern up. So how can he actually say anything about any of these January 6th people who were protesting a rigged election? when his wife knew as early as May of 2015 that they were not legally, um, they did not meet the legal requirements for certification within the state of Maryland or at all nationwide. So let, let's just recap that. The, the wife of the current attorney general was emailing to government officials in Maryland questioning and saying this is not legal to use these machines because they're not certified because the modems are attached. That is correct. And then the mode and then the machines were used in what three election cycles after that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean that's pretty pretty I don't know that you can get any more of a compelling case against it, it seems remarkable, Chris, that you were able to receive this uh, copy of this letter given, you know, the obfuscation that you faced in so many cases under these open records requests. 
um, it, kind of amazing. Was there something different perhaps about this that allowed you to get visibility or? Um, this, this particular public records request was done by, like, as I mentioned, a, uh, a group of tireless patriots in Maryland who I've been working with and guiding and, um, working hand in hand with to help, um, expose the extent of what's going on in Maryland. Now, one of the things about this email, um, they, maybe the person who, offered the email didn't realize or didn't know who um, Lynn uh, Garland was. Maybe uh, maybe they did. I mean, they, they did remove her email address from um, the document that they provided to us, which I believe um, raises some other questions and issues. And um, because typically if you email a uh, public official via official channels, your email address is exposed and it is part of the public record. So I would have to ask why did they feel the need to remove um, her email from the public records request? Because if not, if not, the obvious know. answer is they knew who she was. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, there, this certainly raises a lot of questions, um, especially with the EAC, the Maryland Board of Elections, and um, the numerous federal judges within the state of Maryland. So um, back before Christmas, I had uh, written a, um, a final public records request to the Maryland Board of Elections. And uh, I, uh, I included um, a number of federal judges in the, BC, uh, in the uh, carbon copy field, and I raised a lot of these issues. And I raised these issues because, according to federal law, if you know of a felony that is being committed and you do not report the felony, you could be charged with misprison of felony. And there is a similar statute for treason. So that it's called misprison of treason. And so I, I wanted to bring both, I wanted to bring the extent of what was going on in the Maryland elections with the collusion between the Maryland Board of Elections and um, the Election Assistance Commission to the attention of these federal judges because the, um, the statute for misprison of felony and misprison of treason requires you to contact a, a judge, a federal judge or a prosecutor. And so I did that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we are certainly in very uh, interesting times at this point. Um, I'm sure uh, there's um, going to be a really interesting conversation tomorrow in the Garland uh, household between <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Garland. In the Obama household too. Yeah, oh, no probably. Kidding. Yeah. So this article's up on cdm.press just for our audience. It's on the headline right now. You can read it. One, one of the questions that occurs to me, um, a number of uh, folks across Georgia and I'm sure across the country are looking at what can be done um, as they lead up to their primaries. They're very concerned about still using especially here in Georgia, systems that have been proven to be vulnerable um, and, and do, not, <clears throat> do not appear to have the certifications necessary. What actions can they be doing? I know, I know you guys are busily working on everything you can, but what, what advice and guidance would you suggest to the folks that are looking in their own areas to take some action to try to prevent use of inappropriate or uncertified uh, systems? Well, we know for a fact, so I'm going to save everybody a lot of work because I've done, we did it. We've done all the, the public records requests. We can pretty much guarantee you that every single one of these systems, be it uh, Dominion or be it ESNS, and that's the large lion's share of machines out there. They have been and are connected to modems and network devices in violation of the EAC certifications. So what every American needs to do is they need to contact 
their local election officials, and they need to say, you need to get rid of these machines. And, you know, what we need to do really is we need to have some folks um, have some courage and stand up and start filing lawsuits because that's the only way that we're, that we can do this, um, fighting, fighting it in the courts. And, you know, sunshine is the best disinfectant. And we, we need to be able to show everyone across the nation that our elections are not legitimate. They're not. We have selections, not elections. And I can, and, and if you were the beneficiary of one of these rigged elections, right? Um, are you really going to uh, pass a new law? You know, you're going to pass a law like they like they did in Florida to hide the fraud. I mean, so we need to hold these people accountable. And if there are candidates out there who lost, well, you could always file a, a writ of quo warranto and an election challenge on this. And um, I mean, at the end of the day, these machines have literally disin and actually disenfranchised millions of voters all across America, all across the so, world, uh, all across the world, because these machines are in use everywhere. You know, people always ask, well, you know, how did we get here? And, you know, why? You know, this is not what we want. Well, you know what? If you don't have real elections, the people, they're, they're not the people who are supposed to be representing you. They're not representing you. They're representing who's paying them off, who's bribing them, you know, and, and that's just not the consent of the governed. It's not the consent of the government. And in the United States, all powers derive from the consent of the governed. And if a government does not have the consent of its people, what does it have? Is it a legitimate government? I would say no. Well, Chris, um, fascinating. And kudos on the Ken Paxton thing, because I know you had a lot to do with that. And uh Wow, the, this is a double-barreled shotgun to the election fraud cartel this week, um, metaphorically, I should say. <laughs> um, Peacefully, so patriotically. Yes, yes, peacefully. Yes. Most, so Mark Garland's got a lot of questions to be answering, right? I yeah. mean, how can, he, how can he be prosecuting Donald Trump for, for fraud when he knows, I mean, realistically, you know, what would be the odds of him him and his wife not having discussed this throughout the extent of the past few years? <clears throat> About the same as Biden not discussing business with his son, probably. <laughs> well, we've talked about how perseverance in this fight is really important. And uh, this is results. Uh, we've always said that we don't know when the break's going to come, but here we, we just got one. So uh, fantastic. Um, anything else you got? That's that's it. That I have a feeling we're going to have you on probably Sunday as well, but we'll see. Okay. <laughs> so carve out some time for us. For All your right. I, I will do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Chris. Okay, thanks. Well done, Bye -bye. Chris. Well, it just gets better and better, you know. Yeah. Um, what else, Bill? You got anything else? I mean, that was. Well, um, we I think everybody knows now that uh, Trump had a dominating win in Iowa and uh, two more of the candidates uh, for the nomination have uh, suspended uh, their campaigns, dropped out, whatever word you want to use. Uh, Asa Hutchinson did so um, and on the way out, you know, left a, left a little, you know, unkind comment about Trump's uh, feedback on the 2020 election. Vivek, on the other hand, seemed to uh, to um, go ahead and suspend and and yet make some supportive statements to the point where uh, even Laura Loomer was actually quite supportive of him later on in the day. And uh, we, we both know from experience that Laura looks carefully at uh, people before making a judgment. So uh, I found that interesting. Yeah. Um, to me, the jury's still out on him. I mean, he still has the sort of connections. He still has, um, you know, the World Economic Forum connections. Yep. He's saying the right things. And this thing he did with Trump, you know, elect me, so save Trump. Uh, you know, I think what happened is I think Trump came out barrel barrels on that and kind of ended Vivek's campaign. And he just saw the writing on the wall and 
wants a cabinet position or something. So uh, we'll see. So now we come down to the fine strokes. And uh, as as has been theorized by uh, some of the other outlets, you know, uh, DeSantis's campaign looks as if it's on life support. Many folks have left, um, you know, money is waning, um, you know, he did okay in uh, Iowa, but certainly not not close. And now we'll see what happens. Uh, I guess it's a week from today uh, in uh, New Hampshire. And I'll just say we've had a lot of, uh, I guess, comments from people inside the GOP that, you know, possibly we're not patriots for bringing all of this stuff out, but uh, I find that offensive, to be honest. But we're going to take the high road and... Um, we, we everything everyone is open to come on the show and explain anything they want to just give us a call that's right i we'll think have- it goes back to a little bit of what uh hank mentioned earlier i do think we'll have hank on with other important topics soon but uh you know a, a healthy degree of skepticism i think is warranted in almost every case right now there's uh there's folks being shown to be other than advertised in some cases and i think part of um, a good outlet's job, uh, like CDM, is to question that and uh, where necessary expose some things. And we rarely retract our reporting. Occasionally, we get something wrong and we issue a correction, but if we, we it's very rare. So we're not out throwing crap against the wall to see if it sticks. We do our research. So, Bill, thank you. That's all I got. If you want to take us out, that's great.